So I sent out a uh, Bible class last week. Not that you had to watch it or anything. It wasn't like uh, you better keep up kind of thing. It was a, uh, I gave you a schedule and I said, ah, read if you want to know what's going on. I'm like, that's also not very kind. So I, I did like a voiceover recording of a PowerPoint presentation that I sent you. And if you, if you watched it, great. If you didn't, that's okay too. Um, I did not plan to recap that chapter, but I will refer back to it right in the beginning. So you'll kind of get a little sense of maybe uh, what you missed if you, if you didn't get a chance to check it out. So, but if you did, great. Um, if, you, if you didn't, just know it was 54 minutes. That's what happens when I'm unbridled and there's no conversation <laughs> and no 45-minute time limit. I just was talking and talking. And then I, you hear me hit the record button one time, and I go, oh, did I stop recording? Hold on. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm still recording. And so you get one of those moments. But had to figure that out. But, yeah, so you get a little moment of that. But besides that, unbridled, just, and then all of a sudden I'm at the end. I'm like, ooh. Well, I better stop now. <laughs> it's one of those moments. Great. Let's go ahead. Oh. Sorry, that's me. I have to you reply to my wife, and then we can start. Okay, now we're there. Not bad. Not yeah. bad? Yeah, you get one part hurt, fixed and then the other parts start not liking me very well. It's like, it's like when you take your car in. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's one thing after another. It's all connected. It's all connected and things start breaking down. Yep. Got my oil changed, now why is my car shaking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up with this? All right, let's bow our heads together in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for... Um, Lord, everything that we get to learn throughout Scripture, it's just so full, so deep, and so rich. Um, every page that we turn just has another insight, and we thank you for the second letter that we have to the Corinthians, um, as it refers back to even the first letter. Paul has just got this great heart, Lord, like you are a father for us, and we are your children. Paul has this father-type heart for uh, these children, this young church he planted here in Corinth as well. Um, help us get, gather insight from it and always listen to your word. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And thanks for doing that. Uh that was real good. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Therefore, reconcile. There's words. Therefore, and reckon, and actually, there's a the word sense is in here, and I say sense. Oh, right at the beginning of chapter seven. There we go. I guess we'll start um, at chapter seven, verse two. I say sense is one of those words that's just like therefore. I wrote it right there. Sense, we have these promises, beloved. Seven, verse one. Sense equals therefore. It's one of those things. I say a bunch of stuff, and since all these things have happened and I've kind of proven something to you, now let's move forward is where Paul started. Well, let's go ahead and let's read uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, let's might, we might as well do 1 through 4. Can someone read 1 through 4 for me? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, mm -hmm. lead holiness to completion and fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Mm -hmm. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Thank you. So I mentioned it a lot in the, the past session that we did, but 
Paul has this very fatherly tone and this very fatherly relationship, especially with the church in Corinth. And again, we have to remember the focus of this letter isn't as much the... I wouldn't say the first letter is chastisement, uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of correction that happens that's very... Um, not necessarily abrupt because he's been there, he's been teaching, he's, be, he's been visiting, but he's a lot firmer in the first letter, and the second one has a lot more comfort orientation to it. Um, and in chapter 6, we talked a lot about the, un, what was it, the not yoking with unbelievers, right? I can't find the section off the top of my head. But not yoking with unbelievers, and how too often we take that in the context of marriage, and it's like, well, if you've read all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, now you'll get to the point where it's like, this isn't about marriage at all. This is about not adapting and, and, and becoming part one with false teachers, right? These false teachers that have been going around, uh, that he's talking about these super apostles and things like that. But now that he's gotten past all of this talking about not yoking yourself with these false teachers, therefore, or since, we have the, these promises, beloved, right? And since we have the real promises of God, Let's not yoke ourselves to these unbelieving teachers, right? He's talking about moving on. It's funny, you know, there are so many metaphors within Scripture, that, and one that Jesus uses all the time, not just the father and son relationship. The other one's marriage, right? He talks about, um, and you know, as like guys, it's a weird one to use a lot. We're like, yeah, bride of Christ, oh yeah. Uh, but uh, talking about the church being the bride of Christ and things like that and the romances that we have with God. For us, it's not, you know, we much more are better with the father-son type of relationship. But that idea of an intimacy with God, so to speak, it's sort of like if Paul was the husband of this church, it's now like you have been intimate with someone else. But now we're moving past that. And we're moving past that together. Not only have I forgiven you and forgiven the one that has done the wrong, since we've now moved past that, let's focus on the promise that we have together is where Paul's turning his face, right? Since we have these promises, let's no longer focus on the uh, joining together with false teachers. Let's move on together. And honestly, what he's saying is let's move on to a different topic now. And that's what he's about to do kind of at this next section right after chapter uh, uh, verse 4. I tell people, now he's going to start getting into the money and generosity stuff. This is where you get a lot of the, if you've been to the stewardship like series and sermons and you've heard things like that, a lot of the material you get comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and onward, right? Because this is where it talks about the early generosity of the church. But before we, now that we're moving past that, right, make room in your hearts for us. I said, consider a discussion with a child when they've done something wrong. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, if I say my daughter did something wrong, and I, I first focus on, do I have it over here? Oh, yeah, connect before instruction and correction, right? He's about to do, he just did a little section of correction, talking about what's happened, but before he does this next section of instruction and correction, something he didn't do as much in the first letter that really changes his tone in the second one is focusing on connecting. You know, there's all these books about fatherhood and stuff. I couldn't tell you which one this is from. I've read a gajillion of them. One of them about, um, especially like if you have a son, is to like get down to their level and look at them in the eye before you talk to them, rather than like lord over your children like this. But to connect with them, to show them the, the reason I'm disciplining you, right, as Paul's talking about this, the reason I discipline you or I have to talk to you sternly right now is because you know I care for you and you know that I love you, right? I, did I write it here, the purpose of discipline? No, maybe it's the next section. But what was the purpose of discipline that we talked about before? Do you recall that? The purpose of discipline is? Correct. Correction. Correction. Re oh, who, restoration. Did someone say it? 
Restoration. Yep. So that so that that brings a whole different element. It's it's yeah sure a course corrective, but it's restoration, right? I'm restoring our relationship. I'm restoring you to a correct path. The point of discipline is restoration, right? I want to help guide you back. Um, into, I guess you could say good alignment if you're talking about your car, right? If I'm restoring an old car, I'm putting it back into good alignment. I'm putting everything back into good working order. That's sort of speaking over there, right? Identify who is for you. That's why he has all these big fatherly words, right? The kind, I, I say it like this, not like don't read into this too much. I, ha, I had a, a, a great dad. He was nice. Um, you know, but they're the kind of things you always wanted to hear from your dad growing up. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort and joy. I rejoice when I see you. It's like, oh, man, come on, Dad, right? This is when everybody starts crying. But um, I have great pride in you, the things that you always wanted to hear from your dad, even in times where there's either chastisement or when you've done something wrong, right? How is that for restoration talk, right? When you've purposely done something wrong, followed a false leader, gone off a bad path, and as he restores them, he still tells them how proud I am of you, right? That's, that's true restoration. How beautiful is that? His love for him, and is this only corrective and instruction, or is there more to come? And I have this great quote from Martin Luther, because this is the subject that's coming up later. The last thing to convert is a man's wallet. Have you ever heard of that before? <laughs> right? <laughs> and we all laugh, because it's true, right? Because it's like, Jesus give me my heart, my soul, my spirit, my bank account, though. That's, I got a debit card with a pin for a reason. You don't have access. Right? So we say the last thing to convert, so to speak, is a man's wallet. Because he'll talk about generosity in just a bit. Any questions on any of that? As we move on, good. Five through nine. Because we've got to start building context, especially in seven, but also in chapter eight. I'll go. Thank you, Sherry. For when we came into Macedonia, mm -hmm. this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, mm. fears within, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Wow, that is yeah. neat. We're, we're, we're gonna, we, got, we got two slides at least on yeah. this section over here. So let's kind of start with the beginning. What happened in Macedonia? Can someone go to Acts 16 for me? 16 through 24. As you go to there, um, I think I mentioned this a bit later. So if someone picks up Acts chapter 16, 16 through 24. If you didn't know this, fun fact, trivia question, right? Uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, right? So Paul's letter over there. Thess Thessalonica, it will eventually become the capital of Macedonia, but it's in Macedonia. So when he talks about the churches in Macedonia, when you're like, oh man, I never heard of any churches in Macedonia. Yes, you have. It's Thessalonica. And the, the letters to Thessalonians that are in there are written to letters that are in the churches in Macedonia. There you go. Now, you know, I had a map before, but they're, they're way north, right? So, like, if Corinth is way down here, they're way, way north. And he has a big section on the churches in Macedonia in chapter 8 that we'll get to. 
Well, you kind of need that to build context. Does anyone have Acts 16 for me? Thanks, Brooke. Can you read it? Sure. Or make Alex read it. (laughs) (laughs) Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Yes. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Sounds like a bad time in Macedonia, doesn't it? That's what's going on in there. Now, there's a great story that happens after that. Things turn out okay. You know, the spirit comes through, opens up all the doors, all the prisoners leave, the, 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 the guard's about to kill himself, and Paul says, wait, we're still here, right? And he's like, oh, and then he's saved, and his family. It's, it's really a beautiful story there at the end. But you hear bad things are happening in Macedonia, and even though there's a great solution to that story, that's pretty hard on the heart. I don't know if you've had like a bad day of just like working in the yard and gotten sunburned and it's like ah I say that because this happened recently I'm like ah man this is unpleasant that sounds a lot worse um, and it took me a few days to get over sunburn being getting beaten and thrown in the stocks and then put into the inner cell and my feet my feet chained together it sounds like it's gonna take me a couple days longer than a, a little bit of sunburn to get over that so he's had a hard time both there but also on the hearts but he'll talk about uh, not just that testament of what, what happens there and what happens afterward but the after effects of all the trials, because there's more than that that not just happens to Paul, but a lot of Christians in particular in Macedonia. So a great place of trial. Uh, so keep that in mind, because again, we recall the, oh, I put it over here. The purpose of discipline is restoration. And you see over here, this, uh, this whole section, we're going to have a few questions on it. I see my letter grieved you for a while, and I kind of rephrase this a bit, that it was hard on me, and I did, um, that it was hard on me, and I did regret it for a while, but I now rejoice. As it had an intended effect, you turned away, and I said this word a ton of times in that video, right? Repented. Anytime you see you turned away from, he means you repented, right? And when you repent from something, you turn towards something else, do you not? And that's what he's calling a godly grief. Not to give away the answer of what godly grief is, but when you repent from sin and you turn towards the face of God, that would be a godly grief. He talks about a worldly grief later. Would be if you turn away from sin, what, do you, what can you possibly turn towards? We'll talk about that in a little bit, right? But you turned away from something. Recall, what is Paul referring to again? Um, oh, oh, what is this letter that grieved them for a while? The, the clue is that we studied it for 36 weeks. Okay, good, for the first one, right? First Corinthians. So, grieved into repenting. What are your thoughts on that phrase? Grieved into repenting? Grieved into repenting. Boy. That sounds tough, huh? Yeah. Well, coming from a mom that should have been really Jewish, that guilt sometimes, it can go either way. Oh, yeah. You know. You know. So it mm-hmm. almost sounds like browbeat or strong-armed, mm-hmm. only in a 
in an underhanded way. So like manipulated. Yes. Yep, yep. Yes. You could, that's that would be an easy way for uh, certainly a human to misuse it, right? For for yeah. people to misuse it. Yeah. Grieved into repenting, and I say that because you, you read that at first, and it makes you do that. Ooh. Oh. Right? Greed. Huh? Sounds, sounds like shame on you. It does. Yeah. Yep. Shame on you is not a good thing. No. But so so it's not a good thing. But we see. Uh, do I write it here? What about in the law of gospel context, though? Well, we have shame before God. I mean, uh -huh. you know, because I'm sorry for what I do, I just don't like the word shame anymore. Yes, I mean, yeah. I used to, I grew up with sure. you know, shame on you, Lois. Yeah. You know, I grew up with that. <laughs> and I probably used it on my kids a few times. And then I realized that that wasn't what I wanted to convey. Yes. So, so let's say this. What did you want to convey, though? I wanted to convey that, you know, we love you, but this is not pleasing to God. Yes, okay. Or is it pleasing to us? Yes, yes. But I wanted that we love you to come out first. Okay, yes, yes. So that, that second part, though, so the I love you, right? Paul's already, Paul's done that. He did that a little bit earlier, right? He said, I, I'm proud of you. Even regardless of anything, I'm proud of you, right? He's given you kind of that fatherly tone, fatherly tone, grieved into repenting. If we're talking about a law gospel context, I think, I think Los is right on the cusp of it. What's the awareness you have to bring to the situation? Sorrow. Right? Huh? Sorrow. Sorrow, yeah. Um, sometimes, like with my, with my children, you have to make them aware that that, that bad choices have mm -hmm. bad bad consequences, and sometimes those consequences aren't on just you, and sometimes they are on you, yeah. and and you have to bring an awareness to the situation that it's wrong, right? We call that the second use of the law, right? The law is a mirror. I need to see in the mirror that what I, who I am, and as a sinner, what I'm doing is sinful and wrong, right? And that's what the word will do to me sometimes. You know, you go to Jesus and, you know, you read all the sections, you know, after the Beatitudes and you get to, you know, well, you, you lust? Well, if you, sure, maybe you don't uh, necessarily commit the act of adultery, but I tell you, you look at any woman and you consider her attractive, you've already lusted after her. It's like, oh man, you know, I, I, am I going to drive with my eyes closed? Because all the billboards that are on the highway, I, you know, I look at them and things happen. Well, okay, well, uh, you may not be, and you can kind of go on from there. Maybe anger, well, okay, well, maybe you're not angry, or do not kill. Well, okay, maybe you haven't killed anybody, but I tell you, even if you're angry with your brother, you've killed him in your own heart. How can, Ken makes me mad all the time. No, but, but you should see him when we do 10W together. I'm sitting there sweating a puddle, and he's doing burpees, and he's fine. And I'm like, Ken, I'm mad at you. You know, you make it look so easy. You know, I want to be in your shape when I, when I get to that point, because my shoulder hurts, my back hurts, everything hurts now. I just want to be in enough pieces. Uh, you know, but at that point, I've killed him in my own heart. It's like, I can't keep the law, right? The law has given me a reflection to the fact that not only am I a sinful human being, but also grieved into repenting. I think sometimes there's, uh, we read that and there are a lot of triggers in human society because of our broken relationships that we have. Because this idea is often, like, like Lois is saying, like, like Sherry was saying, even like I'm saying right now, are easily manipulated, right? If I can make you feel bad enough, then, then I've got you, right? Um, if I can get you to the point where now you're crying, then I've won. I don't know if you've heard that kind of stuff before. These are in all these books, right, counseling books, where it's like, these are signs to watch out for. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, I have them all highlighted. It's like, okay, is he doing this? Is she doing that? Okay, I, now I need to ask, like, these other questions. Do you feel safe and all these types of things? Grieved into repenting. But we have to remember when we read this, it's in Scripture, right? So we're talking about what does it mean in a good, godly they, they say perfect context, right? And what does the law do? 
It's a reflection, right? So again, we're talking about law and gospel. So yes, I could see that I'm a sinner, but then I can also see the glory of God, right? And what I'm saved from and the love of Jesus and things like that, right? So we have to keep it. It's not just a law context, but in the gospel context as well. Anything else on that? I think from the other side too is, mm-hmm. um, you know, we that grace is is such a wonderful gift, but uh, sometimes we abuse grace. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Paul says in Romans. You know, if uh, if grace abounds, should I sin more? You know, well, absolutely mm-hmm. not. But a lot yeah. of times, like we push our boundaries. You know, yeah. with our parents and with our spouses sometimes. Yeah. And with, with everybody too, and uh, with God, we do that as well sometimes. That's mm-hmm. just human beings, you know. Absolutely, and part of what he says in the beginning of that, right? Um, I see that my letter grieved you. It grieved me as well. Yeah. Right. right. There's there should be. Um, well, I say when I, when I have to discipline my children, it, ne- it never feels good. Right. I'm never going into that like I can't wait till you know uh, I get to. You know, say whatever or, or, or get to discipline you. No, you know, no one goes into that with a heart of like, oh, you, you go and you do it for the sake of the good that you know will happen. I think I even have that. Oh, I have it right over there, right? The intention is for the greater good, yet you endure, right? And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. I'm glad that, um, that because for my heart when it was troubled and it grieved me when I wrote the letter to you and that it grieved you, I'm glad it wasn't for nothing, that it had an intended effect, that it showed you not just sin, but it helped you turn to God, turn to forgiveness, turn to light, turn to the things that are good. We have, I think, the next slide. We'll talk, we'll talk about this. I have more on this on the next slide. Oh, yeah, about godly grief, right? Because he talks about that in kind of the next section. Let's read that, and we'll kind of open up a little bit more about what this means. Someone could do 10 through 13 for me. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Mm -hmm. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong. Mm-hmm. But in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Uh, therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There's one more. One more? Oh, no, 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 no. There was something that... that that was read earlier that reminded me of this verse that I didn't write down on catch. Okay, no, verse 7. Good. So we see over here, for, good, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Right? So we talked about that good and godly grief. What would be um, that grief that leads to repentance, to turn something away? Because he's saying a godly grief turns you to Jesus, right? It turns you to forgiveness. As Lois said, it turns you to love. It leads you to love, so to speak. Right? You start with love. I'm going to remind you that you see in the mirror, you know, although dimly as Paul reveals, right? But what you see is yourself, and you see sin, but it turns you to Jesus, right? You turn towards life. But what is a worldly grief, as he said, it produces death. Because if you don't have anywhere to turn, if you don't turn to Jesus, where else do you have to turn to? Mm -hmm. Right? 
So we have both of those. Produces a repentance of turning away and one that uh, produces death. Oh, nuts. I gave away the answer to the question. Well, that was my answer, unless anyone else has a different answer. Right? <laughs> well, let's right? trust your answer. Oh, okay, trust my answer. Good. The difference between godly grief and worldly grief. Um, do well, there's, I? A, there's a piece here, too. Yeah. Uh, when I was going through boot camp in the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. it's all about teamwork. Oh, yeah. And, and if your team did well, then you were the outlier and you messed up that maneuver or whatever. You had a couple drill instructors on your back, and they uh, pounded you almost to the point of tears mm -hmm. uh, to correct you. And sure. To make sure that the next time you remembered that mistake and you were not about to repeat it. Mm -hmm. you could oh, yeah. It. Yeah. But, but, but that's the world that kind of grief. That's the kind of grief mm -hmm. that doesn't come towards salvation. It come, comes for, for, for producing a particular action or result, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's, it's effective in its own right. It is, but yeah. But it's not, it's not, it's not uh, purposeful for salvation. Sure, sure. It doesn't lead you towards salvation. It's funny, one of the, the things that came to mind, not as you were talking, but right before that, is I was like, what's a different answer? And I came up with one, you kind of even almost answered it, was that like worldly grief turns you, it's, uh, it's like, I wouldn't even say it's like product oriented, it's anti-consequence oriented. Does that make sense? It's like, worldly grief means I, I'm turning towards avoiding consequences rather than the restoration of life or, or the, the restoration of relationship. Rather than love, right? And turning towards love, I'm just trying to avoid consequence. And in fact, I'm not turning towards something. I continually turn away from things all the time, right? So if anything, you continue to turn away at time and time and time again rather than turning towards Jesus. That happens a lot with teachers and parents. When you make your kids say you're sorry to the whoever, mm -hmm. you just make, and they say, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, you, and sometimes, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But there's an importance in doing that, too. And then you're like, okay, now how do I help them somehow comprehend the fact that they not just need to do this, but that they were in the wrong, right? And that's kind of the, they're not shaming, like Lois said, but the idea of I need you, I need you to have this idea of... Not, not manipulation, but grieved into repentance. You need to have an awareness of what you did was actually wrong, not just, I'm sorry, and move on, right? It's amazing. I, I, I said it the other day. We were talking in, like, a staff meeting between the school and the church, and we were talking about, uh, like, four-year-old boys, a fifth-grade boy, and, a, a, like, a sophomore boy. Like, and just, you know, you need to have something available for all of them, that sort of thing. And I'm like, well, you'd be surprised how the maturity level is actually the exact same for all three. So, <laughs> but it's amazing how, that, how much that even applies into adulthood, right? Uh, the maturity level may be the same for all three, but especially like the spiritual maturity, as he talked about this, especially in 1 Corinthians, you know, you should have been more developed, as he talked about in 1 Corinthians. You were still on spiritual milk. You should be on solid food. Now you're saying you want solid food, but I'm telling you, you're not ready for it yet. And here you can almost see like the progression since that letter, how he's starting to sort of ease them into it, you know, like the baby foods, the, I don't know, uh, diced up hot dogs uh, and diced up soft boiled carrots. He's like, I'm going to start introducing you some solid food. Grieved into repentance, that's some solid, you said it, that's some meat on there. That's some solid food. That's, that's a lot more understanding than just saying it and trying to apply it um, in a very blunt instrument kind of way. Right? Uh, if, verse if verse 11 is the fruit of godly grief, what might the fruit of worldly grief look like then? And I think verse 7, verse 7 and 11 might be the fruit of godly grief. So let's talk about what that would look like, right? 
Verse 7 was, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So this was their reaction to Titus when he showed up. Um, he told us of your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced all the more. So what did they feel for Paul? A sense of grief and sorrow for what they did. Do I write over here? It's, um, it was in, I think it's chapter 2, verse 4, when he talks about his painful, or 2, verse 1, his painful visit and the way they treated him when he showed up. Not just the way that they were adhering to false teachers, but the way that they questioned him, the way that they were aggressive towards him, and how they are truly grieved to the heart, right? You know, like they would say in, in Old Testament time, they rend their garments. They were truly repentant and sorry for what they did. So a fruit of godly grief would be this feeling of true repentance over here, uh, mourning and zeal and, uh, sorry, longing, mourning, and zeal for someone, right? I would love to see them again. Let them know how sorry I am. I really didn't mean to treat them that way. I don't know what I was doing. Please, please tell them that for me. There's a, a zeal, a longing, and a sorrow there. And then verse 11 over here, for see what the earnestness of godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, um, what indignation, so that's like that, that feeling for justice, right? What fear, and we talked about fear a lot, like a sense of reverence, but also um, a sense of eagerness with that reverence. Uh, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent of the matter, right? It's, it's that, again, I, I keep bringing up children, but you'd be surprised at how often it applies to us, right? When you catch someone in the... When a child is truly sorry for them, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry. Do whatever you need to do. Ground me if you have to. Do this. I, I just need to let you know really how sorry I am. I'm, I'm eager not just for the discipline. I'm eager to be restored because I can see what I've done is wrong. So that's that fruit, supposedly, of, of godly grief, right? That eagerness to be restored, and he has a few examples of that. If that's the fruit of godly grief, what does the fruit of worldly grief look like? Caught, being embarrassed. Yep, fear of being caught. Foolish in front of your peers. Sure, humiliation. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Shame, the bad shame we were talking about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's the one of the biggest things people mm -hmm. struggle with today. I have a fear of getting caught. Getting caught with what? I don't know. Just getting caught somehow being wrong. Right. Therefore, if if everything is right, I'm never mm -hmm. wrong. And, <laughs> right? So, therein lies the trouble with the world, exactly. If only we could figure that out, we'd have it, we'd have it made, huh? Anything else to that? I don't have an answer to that one. I wrote that down hoping you'd bring wisdom mm -hmm. to the situation. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be transparent, but it, mm -hmm. it, it's easier to... So when I got sober, mm -hmm. that um, I, I had to be transparent because your secrets keep you sick. Mm -hmm. mm. So sure, yeah. I have to be transparent with my life. People know I'm a drunk. You know, I used to be a drunk. Mm -hmm. I still am. You know, but you have to be transparent with it. You can't lie. You can't be sneaky and do that stuff. But there's a freedom in transparency. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Because you, if you mess up, you got all your stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's yucky. Yeah. But sure. then it's done. And people are easy to forgive. 
people are so easy when you own your stuff and you say, I really messed up, I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, buddy. But if you prolong it and you try to lie uh -huh. and try to make it out, it's worse. Well, you, you like, I'm not forgiving you, you. You build up this pressure in your head, too, that no one yes. could forgive me. Right, yeah. and that's how that's how we get to that point, especially with with God. You, like it's funny, we go through this and we say it so easily. We talk about the forgiveness of Jesus. So many people go to this and they're like, "I don't see how God could forgive me." And you're like, "What are you talking about? Look at look how big this book is. It's all about that." Right. It's like, no, really, I don't know how God could forgive me. Why? Because I've built it up so much now. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's the devil's favorite lie. Yes, it is. Is it you've been so bad? Yes. That God can't forgive you now. You've crossed the line. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's yeah. no repentance for you. No salvation. Yep. And, uh, and when people realize that no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been through, mm -hmm. uh, that, that salvation is always available. You know, it's, it, to go with what you're saying, thank you for sharing that, by the way. Yeah. Appreciate it. That's yeah, great. As I do like counseling appointments, right? It's a lot of the counseling, you most will ask questions and people end up answering it themselves. And you're like, great. <laughs> and like, don't need my advice. See, you know, you, you, you know what to do already. Now go ahead. And they're like, yeah, thanks for that. I'm like, I didn't tell you what to do. You knew what to do already. But sometimes it comes down to the point where I, I honestly say, like, the one piece of advice I almost always give, well, have you tried telling them the truth? And, and where does it go? It goes two ways. Um, most of the time it goes, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Why? Because it's too big, right? Because they, they would throw me out, because they would do this, because they would do that. I'm like, you'd be surprised when you, when you finally tell people how, how when you're being truthful, it's, things open up so much. But even like the smallest, widest lie, how much work is it to kind of cover that up? I, I have a friend who is hopefully not listening to this podcast, um, but I, I have a friend who, what's the most nondescript way to say this? He, he is kind of in the middle of something where there is a, um, in a nondescript state, there is a winemaker um, that was making wine and is now hired for this new winemaking company, but he was in the middle of making wine. And th this other winemaking company said, you can no longer make that wine because now you work for us. So you're exclusive to us. And he's like, well, the other winemaker said, I don't want to throw this wine away because it's, it's almost finished. So how about we say that you're, I'm going to give it to you and you're making it so that my name won't be on it, but I'm actually going to be the one making it and I'll finish it and I'll bottle it and, and we'll sell it under a different name and label just so it's finished because this other company that I'm hired for won't let me do it now. And it was kind of like a favor and it was kind of like a little, it wasn't like, that, that's kind of the end result. It didn't start with that big of a, a lie, so to speak, but it started with like a little fib. And at first he said yes. And it seems like not a big deal, but now he's in it. Like, he's like, man, like, I, now I have to say this, now I have to say that. And I'm like, well, have you tried just telling the truth? And he's like, I can't, you know, because now this person going to get in trouble. This per and now I'm caught, caught up in this lie. He's like, how could this have happened to me? I'm like, it's not you, man. So, like, it, you caught, caught in one little something. And what, so what was really ironic is, he's, I, he's totally going to hear this, is that uh, last week he was in the car with both of these guys, the company owner and this guy that he's helping out as they were driving to this, like, wine competition thing together. And I'm like, oh, man. How'd you feel? He's like, bad. And I'm like, he's like, I'm going to say something. So it'll be, it'll be next week. 
I'll tell you next week as the story unfolds. No, but just that, that idea, you keep getting caught up. How did we get to this? Oh, the, the fruits of worldly grief, right? You just keep getting caught up, and things just feel end up getting so big. And when you feel like, I tell people, when you, when you forgive, right, um, also it's not just about you taking it all on. It's about giving it to God, right? It, when you forgive someone, give, you know, a lot of the burden's too much for you to handle. That's why Jesus said, share my burden, because I'll take that on for you. Uh, don't forget to share your grief. Godly grief is sharing with God. When all you have is worldly grief, you have nowhere else to put it. But to try and shoulder it, and to try and bear the burden and go, oh man, where am I going to go with this? So that, that fruit of God, worldly grief kind of becomes this overburdensome lie that you have to juggle all the time, right? One of the things I've noticed, especially in relation with, with parents, is when your father come out with you find out they knew all along. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. We were just waiting for you to say something. I had that once when I was a kid. Yeah, we were just waiting for you to say something. Um, to to kind of continue with this idea, because we're going to make it. Um, your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. That's a paraphrase, not just from the message, but it's also in a song, right? But it's from Romans chapter two, uh, 2, verse 4. How does that apply here? And this goes with that idea of godly grief. Right? Repentance turns us towards mercy and for, the mercy and forgiveness of Christ. In turn, what do we often turn towards people with? Well, you know, you know God loves you so much and he, because mm-hmm. it's just, you want to be in that relationship with yeah. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to do what's pleasing to him. And, Absolutely. And and in turn, if, if we're called to love others as Christ loved us, do we not try and reflect the same thing back to others, right? As you talked about forgiving, right? It's like, there's no way they could forgive me if I told them the truth by now. It's too big. Well, we in turn, right, in kindness, right, turn towards mercy and grace with the forgiveness of others as well. It's another good fruit of that kind of godly grief. And that's what they do with Paul here too, right? They, when they repent, they turn towards Paul with kindness. Tell him about the zeal. We're eager to take on the discipline. We're eager to be restored. We're eager to show you that we truly do love you back. So pretty great there. Worldly grief, I kind of mentioned that already. Uh, take a second and consider. Oh, yeah, so just a little side note here. What is a reason that Paul has been defending his apostleship so vigorously to this point? I think this is a great time to kind of reveal and go back to that point. So he's, uh, in, from the very beginning of this letter, he mentioned, I'm Paul, an apostle of, uh, of God, of Jesus Christ, appointed by God. He's like, that's it. Like, I didn't choose it. God chose me. I'm an apostle. That's about it. Why has he been defending it? Not just because people have been defiling his name and saying bad things about him. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. There was divisions, and some followed Apollos, some followed Cephas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me, I can find it for you. Let me find it for you. Did I have it written down here? Good man, I did. Paul writes here. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but I admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Right? He's defending his position as an apostle appointed by God, saying you may have many guides in Christ, but I'm not just an apostle appointed by God. I've been appointed as your father. It's like... Now you start to get a better reflection of this relationship time and time again. I admonish you because, as a father admonishes his child, I do it in a good way and in a loving way, in a disciplined way of connection. 
right? That's why he's been going back now. Now, understand my authority, like we're saying, uh, you know, and it's kind of a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing to kind of get into right now in this moment, but you kind of think of like the authority and position of uh, what it means to be a father, like, you know, in the 21st century compared to the first century, right? It seems very different uh, because a lot of, there's a lot of tensions that go with that, but he's saying, you know, the authority of a father, he's comparing, not comparing himself. I say, um, oh, I wrote this quote down. I heard something really great the other day. Let me pull it up so I don't say it wrong. It was, God has shared his title, uh, his title of father with me in my child's life. Oftentimes our view of God can be a projection or rejection of our earthly fathers. Hmm. So if they're looking at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very beginning of that letter, verse 14, as his projection or rejection of their, earth, of their earthly father. And again, it's not so much as like, you know, that close intimacy of like a family relation, but he's talking again about being the father of their church. He's trying to establish, well, that authority piece of God the Father, but also that relational piece of God the Father. Does that make sense? Yeah? Mm -hmm. Anything there? Did I lose anybody? Am I lost in my own brain? A little bit? That's okay. Good. So we'll move on here. We got a little bit more. Uh, we'll finish chapter 7. Again, oh, okay, so this is kind of just the end of it. Again, speaking like a proud father, comforted, all confidence in you. So this report from Titus, right? So Titus went there, good report, and they came back. Why is he, he's almost relieved in the way that you read this, and it's because of that painful visit that he mentioned before, right? 2 verse 1. But again, recall the differences between the letter. We did that. Blah, 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 blah. Got to move on. All right. <laughs> we'll do this. Chapter 2, let's just do um, 1 through 15. Can we do it in one shot? Can someone read that for me in just one go? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth and generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the mm -hmm. saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has had, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. For as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it is matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Mm -hmm. For I do not mean that others should be eased for your burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. 
As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Thank you. <coughs> the very last uh, verse there, by the way, what is that? 15, that's, if you kind of remember that. Oh. That's a reference to, um, I, I thought I felt more light come into the room for a second. <laughs> um, that was a reference to light. Exodus, right? With the uh, gathering of manna and such. Mm. So in the spirit of Paul being like a father, as he was ex expressing himself before, I am your father. This fatherly tone and everything like this. Just as a father, the way that I kind of summarize this section of chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, is uh, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> because that's what he's talking about, right? He's talking about the church of Macedonia. Why can't you just be more like your brother? Why can't you just be more like your sister? Um, which is what we said in my house. Not like with my children. I meant like when I was growing up. But, or maybe in my house. I don't know. We can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> there we are. Why can't you be more like your brother? Compare this to Luke. Okay, so this, we won't go into this. This is the, um, the widow and, the, and, her, and her mites. Right? And she comes in and they're gathering all, the high priests are gathering all the treasure and they're putting it away and the widow comes in with just her two small copper pieces and she puts it in and, and Jesus refers to her. She's given, you know, more, well, not necessarily more of herself, but she's truly given of herself in sacrifice. And really what that all, if you take that first section one through four and reference it to everything that happens in Luke 20, it's really talking about what true worship is because there's all these teachers of the law, Sadducees, and all these people that are questioning not just Jesus and his authority, but the way that they operated before were gathering enemies. And if I can gather enough enemies um, around somebody, then I win. I don't know if you've ever been in a workplace like that. It's a pretty toxic place to be, but uh, people will do that where everyone unites against a common enemy. That's how these teachers of the law were operating in Luke 20, trying to make Jesus the enemy and get people to unite against him, but they wouldn't. And so Jesus says, you see, she focuses on true worship rather than the uniting of treasure, the uniting of enemies against people. But I kind of say compare this to that because it's the same thing, right? It's not about contributing out of your abundance as people were, right? But he's talking about these people in Macedonia who are truly feeling um, as, as an act of worship a bit of, a bit of the burn, so to speak, or sacrifice, right? We see this. So this is in Thessalonica, the first Thessalonians right over here. You welcome the Holy Spirit in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere, right? So that faith is also the overflow of wealth and generosity. Uh, collection of gifts. He referenced this at the end of 1 Corinthians 16. We talked about it a bit before. There's a big famine in Jerusalem. Uh, there's also a lot of widows. It's when in Acts, you know, they're saying, we can't, we can't keep waiting on tables. We need people to take care of these widows. There's this huge demand. Uh, what are we going to do? So they pick seven from among them that start to leave. But also there's this big collection. And Paul's bringing it up again um, in the second letter. Why would Paul have to bring it up again if he mentioned it in the first letter? Because they weren't doing it. They weren't doing it. That's exactly it. Maybe because you weren't doing it. Why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> yeah. Right? Meaning what? Because he mentions it over here. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Meaning, hey, there's a need, and as a church, we should be serving it. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power through this. Prove by your earnestness that you love also, that your love also is genuine. What is the other way we say that today? What do you think? 
You sure talk the talk. But do you walk the walk? Exactly, right? Uh, you, you know, show what you're doing. Show what you believe by your actions, not just by what you say. Um, who is the example given in verse 9? I'll give you a clue. It starts with the J, ends with the Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, yep. Paul has a good vision. Oh, so this is really cool. Paul has a good vision for progression and steps in ministry. And that's what teaches us so well. He doesn't say you have to go, you know, 0 to 60 in, in 2.5 seconds. You have to go extreme all the way. He says, give as you can, right? He doesn't say you have to give as they're, they're doing in Macedonia. He uses them as an example. But he's saying, you know, give, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, give uh, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So right now he's saying, give, give out of abundance. And he's like, you guys got plenty of abundance. So let's start with that, right? It's a good method of progression, right? In this idea of like first fruits giving, right? He's saying, let's start somewhere and start to progress in these steps of ministry, as you'll see in just a minute, right? Um, da, 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 da. And he talks about fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need. How does Jesus teach the same principle, right? It's in Mark chapter 12, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And that's it. We made it. We're a little bit late. Sorry, but we cruised through it. I know. I, like I said, it, it's, it's a lot of material very quickly, but we're going to get through both letters. It's going to be great. Let's go ahead and bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you again for the second letter of the Corinthians. We thank you again for that, that parallel of the relationship that Paul had with the, the church in Corinth, that he could be this father with them, that he could teach them, but also teach them in love. Lord, this idea of grieved into repentance um, and godly grief, it can be a, a struggle. But we ask you, Lord, just in those times when we need to feel that, that conviction of our conscience, that you let us feel it so that when we turn, we turn to see your face in all glory and forgiveness, mercy, and grace. So help us to always turn towards that and help our faces to be a reflection, that shining light that's not veiled like Moses' was as we turn and give that same forgiveness to others. Pray this all in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.